So be honest, how many of you got freaked out a little bit when you heard that song? <laughs> well, this morning, we're starting a new teaching series called The Church. And here's our objective. We want to understand the biblical view of what a church is supposed to be like. Uh, I have been members of several churches. I have been in church nine months before I was born. Y'all with me on that? Some of you can relate. And many times, just because you're born into it, just because you've attended it, or just because you drove by it, we have a notion of what church is supposed to be like. But very rarely do we dive into a biblical understanding of what the body of Christ, the church itself, is supposed to look like. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to deal with different specifics about church. Now, a lot of what I'm going to be dealing with is very educational, all right? Because some of you have never heard us before, and some of you have been in church your entire lives. And so we're going to break some ideas. We're going to bust up some notions. We're going to hopefully change some habits. And we're also going to evaluate whether River Hills is on the right path or not. Because you can even have a good experience in a church, work at a church, have a great experience, and still not be following the biblical model. And there's something beautiful about following that model. There's something immensely profound of what it speaks to with the gospel and what God is doing in your life and the hearts of all these people here online and are going to gather to the next service and who call this place a home that's powerful when we really buy in to what church is supposed to be like. Now, those, those few weeks, we're going to deal with what deacons and elders are because you've heard those terms thrown around before, but really maybe you hadn't had an understanding of what that is. We're going to talk about who's really in charge of church. Every time I have an experienced River Hills lunch and somebody asks us, well, who does this church answer to? We're going to answer those questions on a, in a large group setting. We're going to deal with what a church is supposed to do. Some of you may be a little bit shocked at that. And we're going to talk about how you and I at River Hills are supposed to follow in that pathway that God has laid out. And at the same time, understand, church is filled with imperfect people who do imperfect things. And I've said this before, if you ever find the perfect church, do not attend or join that church because you will mess it up. There's no such thing, man. We're filled, this is a, this is a room filled with hypocrites. You get that, right? This is, and, and everybody outside of this room is a hypocrite as well. And I always just tell people, please join hypocrites that are going to heaven, okay? <laughs> so over these few weeks, we're going to deal with those big issues. And then on Palm Sunday, that's the Sunday before Easter, we're going to have a special thing here on Sunday morning. We're really going to focus on what Christ did on that day. And then on Easter Sunday, we have one service at 11 o'clock at the amphitheater here at Sims Academy. It is going to be a great day. All of our services there, all of our kids will be there. It's going to be a fun time, so make sure you get as many people there as possible. Sound good to everybody? But let's dive in. Take your Bible. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 26. We're going to go all the way to chapter 4, verse 7. Just a few verses there. Uh, and we're going to investigate some of the things that make church unique and really give a definition of what the church is from God's perspective. I think that's the first perspective we've got to get. Now, I grew up in a very traditional rural Baptist church, all right? Uh, so you had to dress up. Any of y'all grow up like this? You had to dress up every Sunday. You were Sunday best. You, 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 if you clapped, you were a sinner. So you had to stand there very, very stoically, and you had to listen, and you had to sing. You had to sit down. Now, some of you grew up Catholic. I get that. And you had an exercise service every week. One, two, three. Down. I mean, and I'm, I'm making fun of all of us, okay? We're equal opportunity people here, all right? I grew, also grew up half Methodist. So when I went to the Baptist church, they would dunk them, and when I went to the Methodist church, they would sprinkle them, and I was so confused. 
My wife grew up in a mega church. Thousands and thousands of people poured in every week, and their biggest concern was parking. <laughs> so, needless to say, when we got married, we joined a, a First Baptist Church where I was on staff as a student pastor that was between the two. It was in town, which was different for me, because when I went to bed at night, it was dark. And there were street lights actually in this town. So I had to get used to that. Some of y'all like, that's weird. Yeah, it was, it was weird for me. <laughs> but yet it wasn't large like hers. And then we went on and said, God's leading us to plant some churches. And when I say plant, I'm not meaning we went out and put a little church in a, in a pile of dirt and said, grow. No, we started churches just like we started River Hills. We started Crossroads Church in Hammond, Louisiana. And uh, that started in a dingy warehouse and then later on into a, uh, not a warehouse, but a, a, a collegiate ministry building in the campus next door um, where we were serving in Hammond, Louisiana. And we literally had to go in every week and wipe down all the rodent matter across the tables in order to have babysitting services. <laughs> so you didn't want to really bring your child there. But yeah, we had a child and had to put him in that room. And I'll never forget riding around. I mean, and guys, it was just very different. We met at 6 o'clock at night uh, in order to, to meet the needs of the students there in that community. So that was different because church is only supposed to meet at 11 o'clock in the morning. Right, guys? So we were meeting there at night, having our worship services, and we would drive around the community. I'll never forget my son being two years old. We'd drive by one of the bigger churches in the community, and uh, it was built like a castle. And he would drove by, and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, a castle! never forget that we moved here and started river hills and our daughter was eight weeks old when we moved here and we were graciously provided space at the winder ymca and for six or seven years we would go in and we'd start at 6 30 in the morning building out all this stuff you see this permanently attached it was a job wasn't it tina Every week we'd go in, every week we would tear it down and every time we went by the winder ymca my daughter would go church if she only knew, right? <laughs> when we use the word church, there's a lot of thoughts that come to mind. For some of you, it's a building, right? You immediately go to that place. And for most of us, in our mind, it's a Norman Rockwell painting or something like that with a white clapboard church building, and it's very picturesque. For others of you, church is a denomination. We get that question all the time. What denomination are you are? Come to our Experience River Hills Church class, and I'll tell you. For others of us, as we deal with the idea of church and we deal with that notion, it's a group of people. The Bible says we're two or more gathered there, I'm with you also, right? And we're going to blow that out of the water because that is not about church. <laughs> so that does not mean if two people gather in a home, you're a church. It does not mean that. <laughs> so going to hurt your feelings there in a couple weeks. Or maybe for church, for some of you, it's a name. Well, I go, maybe you've asked this question, what church do you attend? Well, I grew up going to this church, and then I went to this church, and then I went to that church, and went to, that's called shopping, okay? For others of you, when you think about the word church, some things come to mind. It's supposed to be stained glass, right? It's supposed to be pews, or perhaps maybe it's supposed to be chairs, and it's supposed to be lights and fog machines. It's supposed to be an organ and a piano, or it's supposed to be drums and an acoustic guitar and an electric guitar. And then for others of us, these emotions come up when we deal with the word church. For some of us, it's nostalgic. I mean, we're going to have a covered dish dinner. We only use that in church, right? You never go to the office and go, 
guys, we're going to have a covered dish dinner here at the office next week. No, y'all are having a party, right? We're going to have a party with food. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. The last time we had a party with food or a covered dish here at River Hills, the next week they shut down for like eight weeks because of COVID. I, we are the origin right here, right? <laughs> so uh, it's nostalgic for you. I grew up in a very rural setting, like I said, and every first Sunday in August, all the men would get together on that Saturday night prior to Sunday, and we would barbecue all night long to get ready for what they call homecoming the next day. And it was a rite of passage. So you have those nostalgic. Some of you have great feelings about it. You walk into the church, perhaps you were baptized, and the tears come to your eyes, or maybe where you buried a family member, and it's just kind of painful yet hopeful at the same time. And then for all of us, when we use the word church, we think about some memories that maybe aren't so quite pleasant, right? 100% of us have bad experiences. 100%. So what we want to do is really take all these notions that we have about church, whether it be buildings, denominations, thoughts, good thoughts, bad thoughts, nostalgia. We want to kick them out for a few minutes and deal with this objectively, okay? And we really want to understand God's perspective on all this so that we can be the people of God that we're called to be. We're called a covenant family. Now, we're going to deal with that term in just a few minutes, but that's what you are if you know Jesus. You're a part of what we call the covenant, I'm going to say it again, family. And as we investigate what we do and who we are, understanding that idea of how God sees us is so vitally important. And so as we investigate scripture this morning, like I said, turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 26. Now I want you to understand something, a couple things here. First and foremost, church is not a man-made idea. Now, I've heard, had people say, I don't go to church because it's all about how man created it. I'm going to tell you, that is absolutely false. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter, um, chapter 16, verse 18. He says, upon this rock, I will build my what? Church. Now, understand, that rock is the profession of faith that Simon Peter made where he says, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's the gospel. And Jesus is going to build his church, not building. We'll get to that in just a second. But he's going to build a body of Christ, his message to the world upon the profession of the gospel. Goes on to say this in different parts of scripture. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, we'll see the first church come together. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God, and to fellowship, which is a covered dish, and to the breaking of bread, which is communion. We're gonna talk about it, and to prayer. Isn't that cool? Now, all these elements are happening. Everyone was filled with all the many signs and wonders that were being done by the apostles. And then it goes on to say, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Let's stop right here. How does that happen without God, right? Because we can create movements. We can create energy. We can create a feeling. We can build a building. We can hire the best order, have the most incredible light show, have the most wonderful musicians, have the greatest small groups. <clears throat> and you, what you have is a great national championship winning football team. You follow me on that? You can create that stuff. But only God can do that. They sold their property and their possessions in verse 45 to give to anyone who had need. And then every day they continued to meet together. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And notice what God does. 
what does he do he adds to their number every day that's that first church if we want to find perfection in church it lasted a couple of months there in Jerusalem so understand this church is not man-made it's determined by God there was a church that we have our example from in Acts chapter 2 and then Paul calls the church in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 notice what happens here this is all prelude to where we're going okay so hang tight notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him meaning Jesus to be a head over everything for the church which is his what which is his what body now if you heard me use the term body of Christ that is the definition of church the fullness of him who dwells in everything in every way we're going to talk about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ but it is a great illustration of what we are when we know Jesus so let's attack this in a very interesting way I use the term covenant family a few minutes ago now I want you to understand what's going on you can take notes on this this is not the meat of our message this morning but when we use the term covenant family covenant is a term used many many times in the Old Testament you heard it before and when you think about covenant it may be something in your neighborhood and you're like "Mm, don't like them you know what I mean but covenant in the biblical sense was an agreement between God and his people and it was always sealed or typically sealed by blood all right and so when you see like Abraham and Isaac on the top of the mountain and Abraham is about to kill Isaac and God says no no don't do it don't do it you've obeyed me and they provides a goat and he slaughters the goat there and that was a covenant between him and God saying I'm going to use Isaac to bring about the Jewish people and the Jewish people are going to bring about Jesus and Jesus is going to be a hope to the world make sense that's a covenant We see that over and over and over in Scripture. That's why we have the blood of Christ, which is so important for you as a New Testament Christian, that covers you because that is a covenant between us and God. Christ was sacrificed so that we're brought into the kingdom, and that covenant, that blood, seals it. You're forgiven. Make sense? So you have that covenant there, but there's another word we use, covenant family. You're not brought in individually. You're brought in together into the body, into the family of God. You're adopted as sons and daughters. And we are an eclectic, dysfunctional group, are we not? But there's one thing. I look across this room. I know so many of you, many of your stories, you know my story. Guys, there's one thing, one thing that we all have in common. It's Jesus. And that's the thing that lasts not our individuality we're going to get to individuality in a second here that's an important part of it but we're part of what we call the covenant family so with that being said what is the church and I'm going to give you a simple definition here the church is all believers from all time so when they say you get to heaven you're going to have church the thing I used to think of as a kid is like I'm going to be bored to tears that's not it you're going to stand side by side from the saints from the 1800s all the way to Simon Peter all the way to those who are come to come, come, going to come to Christ today and tomorrow it's all believers 
from all time part of the covenant family and there's two churches that we see in scripture you ready for this one is the visible church that's what we see and typically that's where our mind goes to buildings denominations styles traditions pastors musicians pews or seats whether you're meeting under an oak tree somewhere in Africa or whether you're meeting in a warehouse somewhere here in the United States that's what we think of right but the important one is what we call the invisible church and that's what God sees and so let's look at these two see how they're different and then see how do we get to the place to where God has called us make sense to everybody let's go to Galatians chapter 3 get what happens here because the first question we want to answer is what does God see what kind of church that invisible church does God see go to Galatians chapter chapter 3 let's start in verse um, let's start in verse 26 it says so in Christ Jesus stop here this is an important phrase here prior to this those verses right before verse 23 24 25 it talks about how before you know Jesus you are under what they call a guardian and that guardian is the law now in ancient times these guardians would be people in a wealthy home and they would have the children or be like glorified nannies of these children of those who were wealthy and those children had yet to be in a place of authority and could not yet inherit it what the parents had make sense so these guardians made sure they followed the law and most of the times they were taskmasters or really really bad people who made these kids follow certain disciplines and they did it in some very very mean ways make sense to everybody that's the law and that's how we typically feel let me ask you ask you a question have you felt this way in your relationship with jesus and your pursuit of god i feel like think have you thought this way i feel like if i don't do these things i'm going to disappoint god or god's not going to love me y'all ever been there before i feel like if i don't attend the church if i don't do good enough if i don't act well enough I'm not a part of God's grace. Have y'all been there before? Everybody has, haven't they not? I have been beat down in that idea, even growing up in church nine months before I was born. Is if I don't follow the rules, God's not going to love me. The rules are there for a purpose. And the number one purpose God gives rules is to show us that we can't follow all of them perfectly. And we need some form of grace to bring us into what we call that covenant family you follow me so far so we get to verse 26 go back to that keeping all that in mind so in christ jesus you're brought into him that word in in is so important here because it weaves itself through the entirety of the text and honestly that word that little conjunction there is so important for your own relationship with the lord in christ jesus you are all children of god through what faith you don't see it but you know it's there you believe in it and because you believe in it you make a profession of faith and you say Jesus I need you I don't understand it and hear me on this if you're trying to figure out everything about spirituality and about Christianity before you accept Christ you're never going to get there because there's just some things we're not meant to know but that's why you step out on faith and say I believe enough this is Jesus come into my life forgive me of my sins make me a part of this family adopt me so in Christ you are children of God not because of works but because of Jesus through faith now go to the next verse for all of you were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ now this is why we baptize here one of the reasons is a representation of what Jesus has done in your life personally you're immersed 
into God when Christ comes into your life. And you're immersed into the body of Christ, the church, when Christ comes into your life. And so we baptize in a biblical form, and we're going to do this in a few weeks, where we put people all the way under the water and all the way up because it represents what Jesus has done to you. They've cleaned, he's cleaned you, he's forgiven you, he's accepted you, and he's immersed you into himself. And I go back to verse 26. That's why we can say, so in what? Christ. Do you get that? Isn't that beautiful? When we really drill down into the word, isn't it crazy how it's like we're standing on the, in front of an 18-inch black and white TV, but then we're just changed to a place to where we're standing on the sidelines watching it in full color and full view? When you really drill into it, guys, it's amazing. Now, the question was how God sees us. So in Christ, God sees us in a couple of ways here. Number one, he sees us as in Christ. This is important. We've said this a million times already. When he looks at you and you know Jesus, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. That should be very, very heartwarming and secure feeling. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus. Now, as a person who has a dump truck load of sin that I commit every day, that is very reassuring. And that's how he sees the church. Now, we can be critical of her. We can have bad experience of her. But for eternity, God is going to look at the church and say, those are my children. As dysfunctional and as messed up as they are. That's the good news of the gospel. He also sees us in certain ways. He sees us as really as his children. Go back to that next verse here in verse 26, 7. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You not only see Jesus, but he sees you as his child. He sees us as kingdom residents, meaning we're not the kingdom of God, but we reside in it. Isn't that good? Continues on and says he sees us as those who are redeemed, who are forgiven, as those who are bound together. That means there's unity between you and I. And even if we met each other for the first time and you know Jesus this morning, you are my brother or sister in Christ. The family of God. He sees us also, hear me on this, so don't miss this. He sees us individually as well as a whole. That means with all of your gifts, with all of your talents, with all of your shortcomings, and with all of your prayers, he's concerned with you. It's so important to get that. When we look at the church, we don't necessarily see that. But God does. When you know Jesus, we don't necessarily think that. But God does. This is a radical change for us. And when we think about the body of Christ, our minds typically don't run to that idea as seeing it as God's children, do we? We see it as movements. We see it as a good place. But this is why church is so important. This is why we don't take it for granted. This is why we take care to baptize people in the appropriate ways and in the appropriate times with appropriate understandings 
because this is eternity here. Notice what happens next in this text here. I love, I love this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are what? One. Isn't that good? We're one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're what we call Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Remember that covenant I talked about a few minutes ago? All the way on top of that mountain where God made a promise and said, from you, Abraham, from you, Isaac, I'm going to bring Jesus. That's it. There's the lineage. This is a radical change. We are part of the promise. Regardless of anything else that we hear or think about church, we are part of the promise. Now, this is how God sees us. Let's ask this question. How do we see us? And this is where we derail, guys. Let's just be real with each other, right? How do we see us? How do we see the body of Christ? Let me give you a couple of things. This is just me brainstorming. We see us as buildings, right? We see us as buildings. I've never felt the pressure more so than as a pastor starting a church two times now to get a building. Why? Because that's how we identify ourselves. And be honest, we, this is how we leverage our church in order to reach people. But there's going to become a time, and there's going to be a time where that's kind of a place where we just gather for a minute and send everybody out. I met with a church planner this past week in Lawrenceville, and his church meets in a business studio. And while they're having church, there are people all around him working. It's got to be much more than a building, right? We see it as a denomination. I grew up with a staunch commitment to a denomination. And some of you grew up that way too, right? And that's not the church either. But that's how we identify it. Some of us grow up with the idea of church as a style. Man, if I hear this more, if I've heard this once, I've heard it a million times. Pastor, I like the music, but sometimes it's just too loud. And then I've heard the other extreme. Can we turn it up even more? <laughs> See, we, sometimes we identify music as styles. We identify church as styles. I'll never forget during the 80s and 90s, they called them the worship wars, where people in my generation wanted to hear acoustic guitars and drums, and in the previous generation, they wanted to hang on to pianos and organs. Can I just be honest with you about something? None of that really matters. <laughs> this church will change styles musically if it means the culture is going to be connected with better. We cannot cling to that. We identify church. Hear me on this. See if you've ever fit in this category as competitors. Y'all been there before? Competing for more people with each other. Who's got the best this? Who's got the best that? I don't think God's pleased with that, y'all. We identify it as traditions. I grew up this way or I think this way. And then we identify it individually. And this is a very humanistic way of seeing church. Because like I said before, we can all create this, right? You can hire the right pastor with the right worship guy in the right building, with the right people, with the right mood in the right community, and have yourself a church or a football team you can hire the right coach with the right stadium with the right coordinators with the right recruits you follow that there's something bigger here guys 
This is a Jesus thing. So, I was, uh, the question we want to answer is, is how should we see the church? Or how do you see the church specifically? Because that's what we want to get to, right? How should we see it? How should we be? I, I was called into ministry probably at a young age. I, I can't really recall. But I know by the time I was 21, 22 years old, I had finally said, okay. Because here's the reason I didn't want to go into ministry. Uh, I, I had a lot. I, I started out wanting to be a vet. And then I realized you had to take calculus. And then I decided, okay, I want to be a historian. And then I realized you had to take a foreign language. And, and then I decided I was going to go and get a degree in speech communication, which means you don't have a career ahead of you. Uh, and so I had all these different ideas. I was going to be a PE teacher at one point, and then he had to take anatomy. So I just basically found the degree without any hard classes. And, and so uh, I was good at talking, so I could talk with people, and that sounded great. Um, met my wife in that degree program. Uh, so, but I, I was called, I think, in the ministry as a young, as, a, as somebody really young, but I did not want to do it because my whole perception of what a pastor was supposed to be is I was going to have to sit in the office all week, wear a suit every week, and scream and get fat and lose my hair. Now, out of those five things, two of them have happened. Uh, but that's why I was like, I do not want to be that guy. I don't want to cold call people. I don't want to knock on doors. I feel really weird about doing that. I, I, man, it was just like, no, no, Lord, no, Lord. And then finally it was like he made me so miserable where I was like, okay, Lord, this is what we'll do. I'm trusting you on that. Because we have these preconceived notions about church and we miss the body of Christ for our own opinions. Make sense? So we want to deal with how should we see it. Now I want you to go back to Galatians chapter three and four and we'll start in verse four and verse one now a lot of the stuff you're going to have to think back to the context of this passage just like i talked about a few minutes ago about guardians being over the people because uh they're too young and you and i being having the law as our guardian and it's abusive at times and that's where we find jesus remember that in your head okay as we're reading this galatians chapter five verse one what i'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage he is no different than a slave Make sense? Although he owns a whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now get what happens next. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, why is this important for us as we see the church? Here it is. Hang on for a second. We are unworthy heirs. Think through that for a moment. Because we have issues because we sin and God is perfect we are not deserving of God's grace God's love and specifically the inheritance he gives us in heaven but because of God's great love for us in the fullness of time like we just read the father sent Jesus to take the punishment we deserve rose from the dead conquered sin and death and when we ask Christ to come into our lives we are adopted even though we're radically jacked up into the family of God. 
and we're called his children. Isn't that beautiful? That's the church. And not only that, because you are his sons, in verse, in verse 6, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out of us, Abba, Father, Abba means daddy. So you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. When you know Jesus, you are no longer a slave. You get that? As you're struggling this week, as you're fighting through some things, I was talking to a guy before the service, as you're putting on the armor of God, trying to negotiate and figure out and make it through the week, hear me on this. You are no longer a slave. In the church, as the body of Christ, not the building, not the denomination, not the name, not the style, not the pastor, not the music, not the lights, not the fog machine, not the pews, not the seats, not anything. In Christ, you are not a slave. You are not a slave. Get it? You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, I love this. God has made you also an heir. Undeserving heirs. Guys, that's how we see ourselves as a church, is undeserving heirs who cry out, Abba, Father, don't deserve this so that's the church the visible representation of the church is a group of unperfect people seeking the perfect one that's it so let's answer this question and I'm already over time what if church has disappointed me? Well, guys, first of all, your pastor empathizes with you because it's disappointed me too. But we're not here because we're finding fulfillment in each other. We're here because Christ saved us. That's it. And when we elevate the function of the church, above the message of the church you're going to be disappointed every time because the message of the church is Christ moving in the people to bring them to a place where there's contentment, fulfillment, joy and as we grow to meet Christ one day y'all with me on this? that's it so let me finish this really quick we have four application steps and then we're going to take communion number one first and foremost God created you as an individual that's important to recognize we're going to deal with this more in the podcast you can, you, can, you can listen to that I don't have time this morning but God created you individually but yet knits you together as a group so all your individuality whether it be an artistic flair or a mind full of logic understand this God's created you that way individually. And yet, here's the next application. God redeemed you into the family, though. You make up an integral part of the family of God. You have purpose, and you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Third application, God does the saving, not the church. That's something you need to cling to. God does the saving, not the church. You're not born into salvation. You don't work your way into salvation. It's Jesus who saves you not your attendance. God does the saving at the church. And here's your fourth application. Never 
take being a part of the church for granted. Why? Because you were bought with a price and immersed into his body. And the body is Jesus. I was 21 years old, living on my own, had a couple roommates. Um, we cleaned the house once a year, you know, one of those situations. <laughs> and the only reason we cleaned it once a year is because we had to move out to the other apartment. And we were sitting around on a Sunday afternoon watching TV, I don't know. And I, at this point in my life, I was going to church. Uh, I was following Jesus as best I could. And somebody knocked on the door, and we were like Grand Central Station. People were coming to our house all the time. We were, we were the first guys that had moved out. We were the first guys that had our own place. So people were at our house all the time. We'd wake up at night, in, in the morning, there'd be people sleep on our couch. And we're like, hey, didn't know you stayed over. Didn't know, whatever. And um, I heard a knock at the door, and we just screamed at them, go away, because we thought it was a friend. And they knocked again. And I'm like, all right. So I opened the door, and there's this little old lady. She had to be every bit of 85 years old standing at my door. And I looked at her, and I, looked at, I was always taught to respect those older than me and respect everybody. And I said, can I help you, ma'am? She goes, yes, I'd like to invite you to my church. Well, you're talking about feeling like that big at this moment. I just screamed at her going away. And I said, oh, that's nice. What church you go to? She said the church, and it was the church I had attended that morning. I was like, even smaller. You know what I mean? <laughs> And she said, I want you to come to my church. I want you to be a part of that. Now, we lived in a not-so-safe neighborhood. This lady's 80-something years old. She's walking up and down the sidewalk. She's knocking on doors. People are screaming at her who go to church with her, go away. <laughs> and she invited us to the church, and I let her know, you know, uh, we, we might come. I didn't tell her I went that morning because I was really embarrassed. <laughs> and I left there, and I was thinking, what in the world causes somebody to do that? And here's the only answer I got. Being a part of the body of that lady was vitally important. And she wanted us to taste that hope too. And that was her method of doing it. If it's, if it's so important for an 85-year-old woman to walk up and down the streets in a bad neighborhood knocking on doors of people she didn't know, guys, we can make it a priority in our own life, right? We can make it something that is so much a core value to us because we are a group of messed up people who are going to make each other mad, who are going to offend each other, who are going to betray each other, who are going to hurt feelings intentionally, unintentionally. But listen to me. We are one in the covenant family of God because of Christ. I think the greatest way we can celebrate that, the band's going to come back up, is through communion. And if you look at my right and my left, you'll see the tables laid out before us. And communion is a representation of what Jesus has done. The body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. And the Bible says that we take this together as a church to be mindful of how we are redeemed. And the fact that it also symbolizes the unity we have together here. And so this morning, this is how we take communion. If you've never taken it with us before, this is for folks who know Jesus. You come up. You spend some time before you come up praying and say, God, reveal some things to me. I need to ask forgiveness for something. Maybe I need to make things right. Maybe you need to speak to me in some way. And as you feel led, you come up and you take the juice and the bread back to your seat and together as a church, we'll take communion together. If that wasn't clear, just follow the people around you. They know what to do, okay? But it's a, it's, it's a reminder of what God has done. And it's also a symbol of how we're all tied together. Y'all with me on that? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, in these moments, unify us even more. Empower us even more. Strengthen us even more. 
show yourself to us even more. For God, for all of us, we need to repent for something. I know I do. So God, I pray that you would just uh, lead us in that direction. Thank you.